Now, if you have children between the ages of four and six, you may send them to children's worship training with Mrs. Bishop. They're also welcome to remain with you as we turn together to the book of Acts, chapter 25. Our text this morning is the first 12 verses of chapter 25. As we look at the second in a series of three defenses or trials that Paul will have, the first was before Felix. Now we will look at Paul before Festus. And next week, Lord willing, we will look at Paul before Agrippa. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. His word is sufficient. His word is inerrant. And his word is authoritative. Acts chapter 25. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word. But we also ask, Lord, that you would not only teach us, but that you would convict us from your word. That you would encourage us from your word. That we would be changed by the power of your word and your spirit. 
We ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. What do you do in hard providences? Do you doubt yourself? Do you doubt God? Do you lose hope? Maybe in hard providences as they come your way, you take a different tactic. You begin to do the equivalent of whistling in the dark. Taking your mind off of the circumstances that you are in, the providence that God has given to you. Now, I know for certain that all of us have faced this because we live in a world that is not right. This world is wrong. It is marred and broken by sin. We face illness that we were never intended to face. We face brokenness of relationships that should never have been as God created us. We face death itself, loss, the breakdown of all sorts of things. And the challenge, I think, that comes to us is the challenge that was before Paul here in our text this morning. It is easy, or at least easier, to trust the providence of God when things are going well. When the face of the Lord seems to be smiling upon us. But when the darkness of a cloud comes between us and the Lord, when we're not sure why we are facing the circumstances we are facing, that is when we most need the Lord and His Word. And so this morning, I'd like us to look at three aspects of this providence as it comes before the Apostle Paul. First, we'll look at providence and politics. Providence and politics, because it seems to me that there is no more obvious way in our world today and in our world ten years ago, or in the 50s, or in the 19th century, or so on, or so on, in which we begin to doubt the providence of God, to doubt the work of God, then as we look at the nations and we look at politics, it is easy to think that the world is outside of God's control, that somehow He's not sovereign over our elections, our leaders, factions. But our text today tells us something different. Secondly, we'll look at God's providence and problems. Problems that have come before the Apostle Paul. The same sorts of problems that we face. Maybe not exactly in kind, but the solution is the same. And then third, we will look at providence and priorities. How we will look at the providence that God has given to us and how that shapes the way that we think about and exercise our life. Providence and politics. Providence and problems. Providence and priorities. Well, let's begin then by looking a bit at the political situation that is happening here in Acts 25, not as a means of trying to understand the Roman world better or to get a history lesson from Josephus, but rather to see that the challenges that people faced in those days were similar to those we have faced today. First, we see the politics that are involved with the Jewish plotters. This is a group that is bent on destroying Paul. 
If you think about it, Paul has been placed in a providence. He didn't really need to be in Jerusalem. He only came to bring a relief fund. And he never really meant to go to the temple. He only did it to do a favor to others. And in this circumstance, he now finds himself with Jewish plotters seeking his life with a passion. Now, don't lose sight of the fact, because it's only been a week and only been a verse, that two long years have gone by. Two years have gone by since that initial trial. Paul has been languishing in prison. Think about how long two years are. Turn your heads and look at some of the young people here. And remember how much smaller they were two years ago. How much less they knew. And think about how much more grown they are. How changed a person they are. Many of you have changed jobs in two years. Many of you have changed more than one job in two years. Some of you have gone from being unmarried to married. Some of you have had children and watched them grow and nurse and feed and walk. For two long years, Paul is sitting and unable to do the thing he desires most. He can't go out and plant churches. He can't go out and preach the gospel. God has got him stuck in pause mode. Have you ever had that happen? Some of you that are my age or so remember that happening with VCR tapes. You pause it and it won't come out. Now, for you younger people, that's kind of like digital copies, but physical. And so, your life is just stuck in a rut. That's where Paul is. What has the church been doing during this time? They can't help him. They're, they're praying for him, but the church, I think, is stuck in a rut as well. It doesn't know what will happen to Paul. It would be very difficult to plan things, missionary journeys, church planting operations, until they know what will become of Paul and his testimony. What have the Jews been doing? For two long years, they have been plotting the death of Paul. They are pushed on by a continual hatred, so much so that three days after the new governor shows up in town, they have drafted up new formal charges to bring against Paul. Think about that. They've gone to all the effort to formally charge him again. Two years later, Paul hasn't been able to bother them for two years. Paul hasn't preached the gospel in Jerusalem for two years. Paul hasn't even seen the temple in two years. And yet they are still bound by such a hatred that they want to pursue his death even now. They're using all the political muscle that they can muster. You see, they ask for a favor from Festus. This is not quite along the level of legislative uh, swapping. It's, it's more along the level of a, a scene that many of you may recall from The Godfather. Where The Godfather sits and people come up and they ask the Godfather for a favor. And they do it in a way in which everybody knows what the result is going to be. But they put it in good terms. Godfather, I need some help with my neighbor. Do you see what they're saying here? They walk up to Festus. We need some help with this Paul. Could you possibly bring him to Jerusalem for a trial? 
nudge, nudge, wink, wink. They know that there is a letter from Lysias that describes how there was a plot to kill Paul. They know that Festus would have reports of the riots before. They know that the only way that Festus will acknowledge this is with a nudge and a wink, knowing that he is sending Paul to his death. Now imagine if you're Paul and you know this is going on. You're a pawn in the midst of politics. And if we think about that, then our situation isn't that unique today, is it? Whether you have a job or not sometimes seems like it's dependent upon men far away in a faraway place making decisions that they could care less about you. Isn't that true? Why is the situation like this? If God is in control, how can there be such a plot against Paul? Where is God in this? I think we first need to realize that God is in this. It's not just about Paul. Do you fall prey to that temptation to think that all of the circumstances in the world are really just about you? That God has His eye upon you and everything that is happening is designed solely to affect you. If you're tempted to do that, you will see every difficulty of providence as an attack by God upon you. But that's not what's happening here. You see, God is not just dealing with Paul. God is dealing with the chief priests. God is dealing with the leaders. He is judging them. He is giving them one last chance at repentance. The day will come when the temple will be razed to the ground. The chief priests will be killed and the Jews will be carted off into exile because God will be done with them. But for now, God is dealing with them. He's also dealing with the Roman rulers. Felix has left the scene. But God is still in charge. Do you wonder that Felix, the incompetent, bribe-taking governor that he was, was placed by God over all of Judea and Palestine simply because God had a mission for His church and His servant Paul? God wanted Paul, for some reason, to be in Caesarea for two years. Maybe it was so he would not go to Rome until Claudius was replaced by Nero. Maybe it was so he could encourage the church at Caesarea. We don't know, but we do know this. God was in charge of Felix, and that act of being in charge affected far more people than Paul. As we think about the hard providences that we see, as we look at bribe-taking officials, how is God at work there? As we look at incompetent government, as we look at challenges from thieves, from robbers, how is God at work? Because you see, it's unbiblical to say that God is not at work, that He's ignoring what is going on. But we don't always know why. You see, Felix is there, and then Felix is taken away by the Lord, and Festus is placed in his place. And Festus is nearly the opposite of Felix. He is an excellent administrator. Josephus goes on and on about how Festus was amongst the best of the governors to be in Judea and Palestine. Those who will follow him will be so evil and corrupt that the Jews will rise up and a war will be started. And Festus is also very different in his temperament from Felix. Felix was willing to dilly-dally and delay, have a conversation with Paul, send him away, bring him back a week later. 
Festus gets off a long boat ride from Rome, and within three days, he's got the lay of the land. He knows he's got to see the leaders of the Jews. He knows he's got to find out what's going on with this Paul. He knows that he has to get things under control. He's unwilling to delay. And do you find it interesting that a new governor of an important province that's in great turmoil, the very first thing that is on his agenda is Paul? He doesn't have anything better to do? Taxes? Put down the violence? No, it's because Festus' priorities are really God's priorities. One way in which Festus is like Felix is that he is unwilling to offend the Jews. He is a smart politician. He is willing to do the Jews a favor, as we see here in verse 9. He is willing to show them a good turn. Where is God in all of this? Is God in who is emperor? Who is governor of Rome? You see, I think sometimes we can again be tempted to say, well, that's not part of the church. <coughs> They're not part of God's chosen people. So God is looking at all of the intricate details of the lives of His people. How many hairs on their heads? How many Rice Krispies are on the spoon that goes in their mouth? But once you get outside the church, it's a free-for-all. No. The Scripture tells us that God is in charge of every detail of everything on earth. This is the providence of the Lord. But the second thing that we see is that oftentimes, far more often than we desire, the providence of God brings problems. And here we can focus in upon Paul. The providence of God brings problems if we are honest. When we suffer. If I were to be very unpresbyterian and ask for a raise of hands and ask who enjoys suffering to raise their hand, I will be very safe. Because I don't think any of you would raise your hand. None of us enjoys suffering. None of us desires hard providence. But it does come our way. And it comes our way in a painful fashion. Think about Paul here. Paul suffers first repeatedly and then second unjustly. Paul cannot get free of the suffering that God is bringing his way. For two years he has been locked up in a prison. And now they are still after him. Before then he was going from city to city seeking to escape with his life as similar men tried to destroy him. He just cannot get free from this kind of suffering. Do you know this kind of suffering? Some of you have chronic pain you cannot get rid of. And you wonder as the days turn into weeks, into months, into years, where is God in all of this? Do I really need this kind of pain all the time? What is God teaching me? Some of you have struggled in your marriages for decades. And you wonder, is this what the providence was that God had for me? Where's my best life? Where's the encouragement from the Scriptures? Some of you have children with great needs. Some physical, some mental, some emotional. And you wonder and you say to yourself, why has the Lord placed this burden upon me? 
Why do I get this hard providence that will never go away? It's discouraging, isn't it? I can imagine Paul was very discouraged. I can imagine the minute that Paul heard that new charges had been drawn up, he might have been tempted to just say, hang it all up, I'm done. I thought for two years Felix might let me go because there was no evidence. And now it's starting all over again. Can you picture Paul in your mind's eye? His shoulders slumped. His head down. Wiping his brow. He's tired. Some of you know this pain. It's the same kind of charge that always comes against Paul and against Christians. He's disregarding the customs of the age. He won't believe in the religion of the day. And he's treasonous against the government. It's the same kind of charges that are starting to come against you and me, Christian, isn't it? We don't believe in the religion of tolerance of the day. We don't believe in the religion that says all roads lead to God. We don't believe in the religion that says all things are permissible as long as we like it. And because of that, we're treasonous against our society and against our government. We seek to judge others. We're horrible, wicked, fundamentalist people. Do you get tired of that? I do. It's the way in which we suffer for the Lord. To stand for Him and His truth. To stand for King Jesus and what He has done. But Paul has a pro- another problem. It's perhaps even worse than the suffering. And if you have experienced this at any time, you will understand this as well. Paul not only has a problem of suffering, he has a problem of there being no good choices. Have you ever faced that? Now, in a mundane way, it can be, kids, when your mother says, which vegetable would you like? Green beans? Or asparagus. And you say, isn't there an ice cream vegetable? Isn't there a chocolate vegetable I could have? No, it's green beans or it's asparagus. And you think, there's no good choice here. What do I do? You see, this is the kind of choice on a much more important level that is placed before Paul. Festus has played a political ploy against him. Look with me at verse 9. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, there's the context, Don't think Paul doesn't see this. Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and be tried there before me? We can almost imagine if Paul was in one of his sarcastic ex-Sanhedrin moods, he might say something like, yeah, right. That's exactly what I want to do. What's the office pool say as to how many miles I'll get on the journey before they kill me? But what's his other choice? He doesn't even have the other bad choice of remaining in prison. His other choice that he knows of is to continue his imprisonment and to go to Rome by appealing to Caesar. So his choices are a quick trip and a quick death in Jerusalem or a long, slow imprisonment to Rome to sit before a pagan judge. Have you ever faced those kinds of challenges? A choice that didn't seem like a choice that you wanted to touch with a ten-foot pole? And you wondered why in the providence of God He didn't give you a third way out? You know, like they have in the movies, 
Well, we always know toward the end of the movie there will be some way for the hero to save the girl, get the car, and smile. Where is that third way in life? Some of you are still looking for it. Some of you have been struggling under difficult providences for years. What does Paul do? Well, I want you to notice how he reacts. The first thing is Paul's reaction is quick. The second thing is Paul's reaction is decisive. He says very quickly, I appeal to Caesar. Now, you need to know that the Caesar here is not Julius. The Caesar here is Nero. Now, I say that and many of you already know. You have all kinds of visions in your head of who Nero is and how bad he is. But you need to understand that God is in the midst of this difficult providence because Paul's out, his saving grace, as it were, is this appeal to Caesar. It is a law that is at this point more than 500 years old. It is an invaluable right of a Roman citizen to say that he will be tried before the tribunal of Caesar. I would put it to you that God's hand was upon those men in Rome in 509 B.C. when they decided to make this right. You see, oftentimes we look at this and we think God is very smart and He takes advantage of circumstances. There just happens to be a law, God will use it. Instead, we should think there is a law because God decreed there would be a law. Because God decreed that Paul would stand before Festus. And because God decreed that he would go to Rome and be before Nero. And because Paul would preach the gospel to the household of Nero and they would be converted. That is why this is the case. Do you think the people in 509 knew this? There were probably people who were all upset because the trials took a long time. They lost vacation time. They lost time with their families because of this. There were probably people in this day and age that had never even heard of Paul that lobbied for this law and for its continued enactment. But you see, God is at charge, in charge. Even in the midst of problems and suffering, even in the midst of bad choices, God is always at work. Paul knows this, and because of this, he can be decisive. Paul says, he's very emphatic here, the Greek is very emphatic. He says, I am standing before Caesar's seat. That's where I should be tried. Now, how could Paul be so decisive? Does Paul know what the outcome will be? No. Does Paul know where the pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow? No. Does Paul know that he will be set free and not killed? No. Paul knows one thing, that God is in charge of his life. And Paul knows that Paul will not live a second more or a second less than God has decreed. And because of that, he is free. He is free to act. He is free to love. He is free to cry. He is free to be all that God has created him to be. Because he trusts the Lord. He's not trying to avoid death here. Do you see him say that in verse 11? He says, if I've done something that deserves death, bring it on. You should punish me, O good magistrate. He says, but if I haven't, let me tell you what you can't do. You can't, for a political favor, hand me over like a volleyball 
like a hot potato to men who only desire to kill me. This is what Paul does when he's faced with these bad choices. But you see, Paul might also have thought, and we might think, where again, where is God in this? Why is God doing this? Why has God placed us with two bad choices before us? Isn't there work to be done for the gospel in India? How about Africa? How about Spain? Paul wants to go to Spain. Why has God left Paul in prison for two years? Why is Paul now not being set free again? What is God doing in all of this? It doesn't make any sense, does it? And we can even be sanctified and say, it doesn't make any sense for God's benefit. Doesn't God want the gospel to go forward? Doesn't God want churches planted? Doesn't God want His name proclaimed? Who better than Paul? And again, we can be tempted to think that there is something that limits God, that puts God in a box. But Christian, it is not true. There is nothing that will stop the will of God. Not even the blackest sin that you have. God has done everything in the work of His Son. There is no sin that you have today that will keep you from Christ. There is no sin too large that God says, I can't handle that. There is a calling from the Scriptures, from God Himself, to come to Jesus, to unburden all that you have. This is what we are called to do in the midst of difficult providences. Well, there's a third thing about providence that we see this morning. It's not just the providence of God in society and in politics. It's not just the providence of God in the problems that we face. There is a providence of God in our priorities. It's a providence that shows us, that adjusts us when we need it. Have you ever had that experience working on something mechanical where it needed to be turned just a bit it needed to be tweaked just a little bit to be perfect. You ever heard a piano that's just a small amount out of tune? You know, so much out of tune that at least a few people more than Gladys can hear that it's out of tune. It grates on you, doesn't it? You know it's not right. And you see, sometimes the providence of God is the tuning instrument that takes us and places us where God desires us to be, where God knows that we will be blessed, where God knows that our purpose is found. And you see, as we think about this, we must understand first that we must trust the Lord's care. This is a very, very challenging part of providence. Why do Christians suffer? Some of you are suffering right now. Maybe you asked yourself that question. Why do Christians suffer? I can understand why people who hate God, who shake their fist at God, who speak against God, who don't go according to His will, who don't follow His law, I can understand why they suffer. But why do Christians suffer? Is it sin? Is it some sort of secret sin that we have that God must punish us for? Well, we know that's not true from the book of Job. 
Is it being outside the will of God? Well, we know that's not true because we're called to follow the path, as we sang this morning in Psalm 1. We're called to follow the path of God's Word. To follow righteousness. To seek to be like Jesus. Our lives are not about moving around trying to find the pinpoint perfect thing that God would have us do. And if somehow we miss it, it, life is like a tightrope and we fall over. Is it the will of God that we suffer? Is God somehow taking enjoyment out of our difficulties and our suffering? And you see, the problem here is we tend to oversimplify the providence of God. We tend to think bad things happen because we deserve them and for no other reason. Or bad things happen because God can't help us. He's up there wringing His hands. But He just he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the will to save us. Sometimes we wonder if we suffer because we don't understand the promise of God. What is the promise of God? Many so-called preachers will tell you that the promise of God is health and prosperity. That's what Jesus came to bring you. Every time I think about that, I wonder, where was Jesus for Paul? For Peter? For James? For John? Men who lived in poverty. Men who didn't have a home. Men who were tortured. Men who were killed. But you see, if you think that's the the providence of God, that's the promise of God, that what God owes you is health and wealth, then you will be disappointed in this life. Not just with health and wealth. You will be disappointed with God. Because you have fashioned a God after your own making. That's not the promise of God. Because if it was, then God can be proven wrong. I have faith and I don't have a brand new Cadillac. God must be asleep at the switch. God can be proved weak. What is the promise of God? Is it, if it's not health and wealth, is it happiness? Some people will say that. Perhaps you've heard this so-called line of evangelism. Try Jesus and just see if your life isn't better. Jesus is not a happiness pill. The promise of God is not bliss on earth. Now, that, is, that doesn't mean we shouldn't desire to be happy. That doesn't mean we shouldn't desire to encourage each other. But that is not the end. That is not God's promise. That is something that comes sometimes with the promise. Note the difference. The promise of God is not health. It is not wealth. It is not happiness. The promise of God is to be like Jesus. That is what God has promised you, Christian. That should be glorious in your ears, but it should also be fearful. Because Jesus says things like this in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. That means hate, kids. And persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Even scarier is John 15. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. You see, to be like Jesus involves suffering. It involves 
persecution. And for virtually all of us, to be like Jesus involves death. Death is the passage to life. He is called the firstborn from the dead for a reason. We grieve because of the state of the world, but we have hope because it is not the permanent state of the world. And that is what can push Paul along in the midst of all of this providence that is dark. So dark he can't see. He looks beyond the circumstances. He looks beyond the providence to the one who holds the promise. His promise. Paul's promise with his name on it. Do you have your promise? The promise from God is not just out there. It's not Christ's church's promise. It's not Fred's promise. It's your promise. It's the promise that God will make you like Jesus. Lastly and finally, the last priority that we see here from Paul is that in the providence of God, he trusts the Lord's wisdom. We might ask the question, why would God fail to use Paul? After all, God was the one who called Paul. God was the one who shaped Paul. God was the one who had brought all forms of success through him. And we begin to ask ourselves, what is plan A? What is God's plan A here? You see, this is something we understand theologically. We know that God doesn't have a plan B with respect to salvation. But the question we need to ask ourselves, do you believe God has a plan B for your life? Because He doesn't. God is not struggling to catch up with you. God is not having difficulties decreeing your circumstances. There is no plan B for your life. What is happening to you now is plan A. And because of that, we must see... We must know the Scriptures so that in the gray areas of life, areas like Paul is living in right now, we can draw on scriptural principles because, you see, Paul cannot turn to the book of Hosea and say, yep, I should appeal to Caesar. says it right here. Hosea 9, verse 8. You see, Paul cannot turn to the book of Isaiah and say, yes, here it is, I'll be in this prison for exactly two years and one month. And if we are honest, in providence, that's how our lives are. The Bible doesn't tell you which college to go to. The Bible does not have the name of the person you should marry. The Bible does not say exactly how many children you will have. But we must take the biblical principles. We must look and study and live and sweat and bleed over the Scriptures so that when the hard providences come, we are not left without any ammunition. We are not left without knowledge. With this, we can trust the Lord. Because you see, the difficulty of life is we don't fear hard providences in the abstract, do we? Your life will be difficult next week. How many of you are frightened by that? Even if I were a prophet. You will be fired and your house will burn down. Whoa. I hope he's kidding. 
right? When it becomes specific, that is where the providence is hard to deal with. That's where we must go to the Lord. That is where we need the Lord most. Because you see, life is hard. But that is not the measure of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is not about making life as easy as possible. Life is hard. Hard providences are not easy to deal with. But they drive us to the Lord. Just like when the three Hebrews were threatened with the furnace. Do you remember what they said? Our God has the power to deliver us. But if He doesn't, He's still God. Is that how you view your life? God has the power to bless me and my marriage and my kids and my finances, but if He doesn't, He's still God. You see, if we understand that, there is no safer place to be than where God has placed us right now. In His hands. With Him in control. And with His love surrounding us. Let's pray.